My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that his word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of his word would point you to him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Now, let me ask you um, to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews. We are back now in a series working through the book of Hebrews. Um, Last week we were in Hebrews 8. Today we will be in Hebrews 9. So go ahead and turn there. Keep your finger there. But again, let me kind of remind you of the context. The context of this section is that uh, the, the preacher who preached this sermon to the, the people called the Hebrews uh, is trying to help them to understand that Jesus has a superior ministry to the ministry of the high priest of the Old Covenant. Uh, we, we said last week that that's kind of the theme of this section, that Jesus' work is superior. Let's go to this next slide. It says, here is his superior work. First of all, he is the high priest of a superior covenant, of a superior covenant. Next, he offers a superior sacrifice. And then finally, it is a finished work. It's a finished work. We'll go there uh, next week. So a superior covenant, a superior sacrifice, and then a finished work. Now, last week we looked at the first of those, which is the superior covenant. And what we said was this, that the old covenant was not bad, it was good. It was good for two reasons. First of all, it it helped us to to understand the, the problem of sin. It helped us to see that sin was an issue and that sin needed to be dealt with. The old covenant exposed the problem of sin. It said, this is what sin is. It told us what sin is and it helped us to see what sin was. It was also good because it prepared the way for God's ultimate plan. God's ultimate plan. The old covenant was never meant to be the ultimate plan. It was a first plan to be followed by a second. But that now means that the old plan is obsolete. And we said last week that when we, say, when we talk about obsolete here, we're not just saying that it's out of date and it's old-fashioned. We're saying it's completely useless. It has no use whatsoever now uh, in, the, in the great sense because it has been overtaken by the new covenant, which is God's ultimate plan for dealing with sin. And we said that because of that, that that, that there is nothing that we should hold back. We should not wait, for example. We talked about things that are obsolete. We said sometimes we kind of wait for the new thing to to, to stay around for a while so the cost will come down, and we say, you know, I'll, I'll get the new thing later on. In this case, we said you don't want to do that. You don't want to wait for the price to come down because the price is never coming down. Price is never coming down because the price is our very life. It's our very life. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So the cost is your very life. But the writer of Hebrews, the the preacher was saying to us, no matter what the cost, it is absolutely worth it. Whatever it takes to get it, get it. Because the, the, the benefit and the, uh, the, the gift of that, uh, of that covenant is eternal life. And that's not just after we die. But it's also here in this world as we live. That we move into eternal life. So you're giving up your life, but you are gaining life that is truly life. You're giving up life that is temporary, but you're gaining eternal life. So no matter what the cost pay the price in order to get the eternal gift. Now, that's where we were last week. This morning, we want to take up the preacher's thoughts about Jesus' superior sacrifice. He's not only the, the, the priest of a superior covenant, he brings a superior sacrifice. And let's just get straight to the heart of it by saying that his primary message here is that Jesus' sacrifice, which is the foundation of the new covenant, is superior to the sacrifice of the old covenant. Um, Now, to do that, the, the preacher has to demonstrate that the ministry of Jesus did, in fact, fulfill the requirements of the old, but that it fulfilled it in such a superior way that it has now made the old obsolete. And so turn with me to chapter 9, if you're not already there. And let's just begin by looking at verses 1 through 7. And I'm just going to read through these verses, verses 1 through 7. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. A tabernacle is a tent of sorts. Um, In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. You may have heard of it as the holy of holies, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover or the mercy seat. But we cannot discuss these things now in detail. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered into the inner room, uh, or, and that only uh, once a year and never without blood, which, is, which he offered for himself and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. Now, that's the, uh, that's the Old Testament system. Uh, let me just kind of, maybe it helps to see a picture of this. I want you to kind of see how this is laid out. The tabernacle was a large uh, tented area, not with a cover, but with, a, with, a, with walls around it. And then in, the, in the, the heart of it was this tabernacle, and it had two parts. 
There's the outer part or the holy place, and then there is the holy of holies or the most holy place where the ark dwelled. Here's a 3D rendering of it, just so you can kind of get a picture of what this would have looked like. People came in through the door with their sacrifices. They came first to the the table of sacrifice. There the priest took their offering. The priest uh, washed themselves, and then they would take it into the holy place to deal with those daily sin offerings. But once a year, the high priest and only the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. It was a very extravagant ceremony. He would, he would take a bull and he would have two goats. He would uh, slaughter the bull and one of the goats, take their blood into the Holy of Holies, spread it all over the place make atonement for the sins of the people. Then he would come out and take the second goat, tie a a red ribbon around its horn, and send it out into the desert. And this was called the scapegoat. Probably heard that term before, right? The scapegoat. Well, now you know where it came from. The scapegoat carried their sin into the desert. It was a very graphic ceremony, and it was meant to communicate to the people that God has given us this ceremony to deal with the problem of sin. Our sins have been carried away. They've been taken care of. Well, that, that's what was happening. I mean, if you want to look at the specific implements, these are the pieces that were inside uh, the, the, the tabernacle. On the outside, actually the outer court, there was a bronze altar and the, the bronze laver, and on the uh, the inner court was the golden lampstand, the, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread. But in the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant with all that it contained. Now, interestingly, the preacher says in verse 5, we don't have time to talk about this in detail. I, I think that's a, a funny verse almost. I mean, he just kind of says, hey, you know, we don't have time to talk about all this in detail. Quite frankly, neither do we. We don't have time to give you all the details. I'm just giving you the bare essentials. These are the bare essentials of the old covenant plan. But the main reason that he didn't take time is because he didn't need to. He didn't need to. He was, he was sending this message to Jewish Christians They knew the Old Testament system backwards and forwards. They knew all about it. They had lived it. It was at the very fabric of their life. They deeply understood what that system was all about. So he didn't have to tell them all the details. What he was trying to say to them is that we can even see in the old system itself that it was not adequate that it was always temporary. He says, first of all, uh, matter of fact, go back, to, go back two slides to the, the, the fact that there are two rooms, a holy place and a most holy place, indicates to us very clearly, this is, this is what he's saying. If you read through the next verses, 8 through 10, I'm not going to read those for you, but let me just tell you what he's saying. What he's saying is the fact that there are two places was the first clue that God always had from the beginning a two-step strategy. God would bring the first plan to, to lay the foundation that would point us to the final plan that he would institute later on. So just as there was a holy place, a holy place and then a most holy place, that, is a, that signifies that God had an initial plan to be followed by the ultimate plan. 
But more importantly, we can see that this system itself was, was not adequate. It could wash you on the outside. It, it could take away the consequences of sin, but it could not deal with your heart. It couldn't deal with your, the, the, the word he uses here is conscience. It couldn't change us from the inside out. It could only deal with the, the external sin itself. Not only that, but in itself, it said it was always looking toward that which would complete this and deal with that deeper issue of the sin that was in me. You see, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, couldn't give us a new heart. It, couldn't, it could tell us what to do, but it couldn't give us the power to do it. And that's why the old system was inadequate. And it was always meant to be temporary to point us to the final solution, which would be through his son, Jesus Christ. Now that leads us down to verse 11. And let's just go to verse 11 quickly here. And beginning in verse 11 through verses 14, he says here, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place only by his blood, once and for all by his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the, through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Now, let me just highlight the, the three things here that he says are superior about this, uh, the, the, the offering that Christ brings. First of all, he brings this offering to a superior place, a superior place. Under the old covenant, the priests brought their offerings to a tabernacle, a tabernacle that was made by human hands and that was very much a part of this world, of this creation. He says Jesus brings his offering to a heavenly tabernacle, to a heavenly place that is not made by the hands of man, but is made by the very hands of God in the very presence of Almighty God. So that he brings his sacrifice to a better place means that it is a place of greater intimacy and greater depth. It is a place of relationship with God Most High, because he is there in his very presence. Secondly, he brings a superior offering. The high priest of the Old Covenant brought the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus brought his own blood. Now, why is that so significant? First of all, the, the, the problem with the blood of bulls and goats is that it wasn't an equal sacrifice. It was animal blood to deal with a human problem. It was animal sin for a human, I mean animal blood for human sin. And so it's not an equal offering, you understand? Not only that, but the animal didn't come willingly. The animal was ignorant. The animal had no idea what was about to happen to it. That animal didn't give its life. 
its life was taken. It was taken from him. And that's why it's, it's not an equal sacrifice. But Jesus came offering his own human blood for the problem of human sin. Not only that, but he did it willingly. He did it willingly. That, that's why we are very quick to say as God's people, and, and God's people have always said this for the last 2,000 years, Jesus was not murdered. Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus gave himself for our sins. He went willingly, knowingly. I mean, uh, the, the writers of the Gospels take, go to great pains to spell this out. That Jesus, though he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him, did not. Though he could have made a defense for himself, he went like a lamb to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. Why did he not open his mouth? Because he had no intent of saving himself. He had no intent of saving his own life. He was giving his life willingly to pay for your sins and for mine. And that's why Jesus' offer is a superior offering. But why was this necessary in the first place? I mean, can I get to a question that I really, really want us to dwell on for a moment? This is the heart of where we're going to be this morning. Why was the whole thing necessary? Why the blood? Why death? I mean, what was was it all about? I mean, let's just be gut level honest here for a minute. I mean, this just doesn't, the stuff I've been describing doesn't sound like the 21st century, does it? I mean, at best, it sounds primitive. And at worst, it sounds barbaric. I mean, let's just, let's really be honest that there is a disconnect here in many ways between ourselves today in the 21st century and what was taking place here. We have a problem here with that disconnect. Um, the preacher of the, the, the preacher who wrote this message to the Hebrews didn't take time to detail it all out because he didn't have to. They fully understood the old system. That helped them to understand at a much deeper level the the significance of the new covenant. The fact that we kind of have this disconnect with the old system, uh, we hadn't had this system for thousands of years. It's not a part of our daily fabric of life means that there is a disconnect. And it's not just that we've kind of forgotten it. It seems weird. It seems barbaric. We can't understand why blood has to be shed and why life has to be given. I was in a seminary class uh, 25, 30 years ago. It was a, um, a class on missions. And uh, in the, one session, the, the professor came in and says, today we're going to start with a, a video. And he showed us this video of an um, African... Uh, sacrificial ceremony. Uh, Yapi, you and Vilna may have run into this at some point in your travels in Africa, but there are still tribes that practice animal sacrifice. And so he begins to show this film that was certainly unedited and was definitely R-rated for graphic nature. Uh, the, the, the tribe gathers together, there's dancing, there's singing, there's incense and smoke going up. And then they bring this goat into the inner circle. 
And they just bring him in and he's, you know, crying out as he comes in. They bring him up and they bring him right up to the priest and the priest takes a knife and just cuts his throat. Blood starts going everywhere. And I gotta be honest with you. It was disturbing to watch. And you need to understand something about me. I grew up in farm culture and I am a hunter. That may disappoint some of you, but I, I, I own it. I am a hunter. Um, I, I've killed animals. I have cleaned animals. I have skinned animals. I'm not squeamish when it comes to animals and blood. I, I, don't, I, can't, just, I can't fully define for you why, but watching that take place was very disturbing. I think it was because it wasn't someone killing an animal for food. It wasn't somebody saying, I got to provide for my family to eat. It was the taking of a life in a ceremony. And it was disturbing. I mean, some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, it's disturbing to me right now. We should stop talking about it. Um, I understand. It is. And think about the next crowd who's coming in right before lunch. Uh, you guys have got it easy. I mean, it is disturbing. And most of us are really disconnected to this whole thing of, of sacrifice. I'll never forget years ago, um, on one of the first mission trips I ever took, I led a group of youth down to Venezuela. And uh, we went down to Venezuela. Uh, there, there was a mission that had been there for many years. They had, uh, through this ministry, a very wealthy landowner had gotten saved. And so while we were there, this landowner said, you know, in celebration of my new life in Christ, I want to throw a Venezuelan barbecue for the team. Now, Pam and I were actually there for two weeks, and we had a youth team the first week and an adult team the second week. Well, this was the first week with the youth. So he says, I want to throw a Venezuelan barbecue for the youth. We said, great, that'd be awesome, wonderful. Next morning, we get up at seven o'clock or so, and we start devotionals, which is what we did every day. And right in the middle of the devotionals, a truck pulls up and there's a cow mooing in the back of the truck. And they lead the cow off the back of the truck, right in the middle of devotionals, right behind us. And they proceed to slaughter the cow right there behind the youth. And all of a sudden, nobody wanted Venezuelan barbecue. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, these were city kids. They didn't know where meat came from. They thought it grew on trees, I guess. You know, I mean, they had no idea where meat came from. I mean, it was, it was a complete disconnect. Um, it, it just completely grossed some of them out. And they didn't want to eat it, you know. It was disturbing to them. It was disturbing to them. I think that's the whole point. I think that's the whole point. Why did God institute this system? Let me say, first of all, because it was necessary. Necessary. Not, and not just because God had created some rules that said if you sin, something has to die. Uh, God is not going to be held hostage by rules, right? It's because of the very nature and character of God. God is holy. He is pure and perfect holiness. Scripture says that he is light and can have nothing to do with darkness at all. God is holy and can have nothing to do with sin, period. And so when sin is committed, when God created the world, do you remember what he said to Adam and Eve? He 
He put them there in the garden. He said, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from this tree. That was the first commandment. Don't eat from this tree. If you do, you will die, right? Because once there is sin, God can't have anything to do with you. There is death. Death is not so much about a beating heart that stops. Death is about separation from God. That's what death is spiritually. They immediately died spiritually and eventually their, their bodies died. I believe that Adam and Eve would, would have been immortal had they not sinned. That they, God's intent was that they would live forever in his creation. But when they ate of this, more importantly, when they rebelled against God and sinned, there was death that took place. And so now there is this huge problem with a holy God who can't have fellowship with sin and all the people are now sinful. Well, I mean, God could have just thrown his hands up and said, well, it's it's done, It's, it's, it's over. But God's desire to have a people, God's desire to be in fellowship with his creation led him to the system that was meant to take care of that sin. If sin comes, something has to die. Something has to die. And so in order for people to continue to live, God instituted this first system that said, an animal will die in your place. An animal will die. So it was necessary. It had to be done. God just couldn't wink and flip a switch and say, I'll pretend that you're holy. There had to be payment for sin. And the payment of sin was death. Leviticus 17.11 says it. I mean, for the life of a creature is is in the blood and have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Blood had to be shed. Life had to be given in order for this sin to be taken care of. But secondly, not only was it necessary, I believe that the whole thing was meant very much to expose the gravity of sin, the gravity of sin, the the weightiness of sin, the heaviness of sin. I mean, again, let's just be honest and say that we live in a day where where there is just a constant attempt to redefine what we've traditionally called sin. We want to sanitize it. We want to say that it's just a mistake. We want to say that it's a shortcoming. It's a slip-up. The Bible calls it sin. Today, we even go further than that. It's not just a slip up. Today it is. It's my choice. And no one else has a right to tell me otherwise. I get to make up my own rules. I decide what is sin and what's not sin. Nobody else can tell me what's sin and what's not sin. We have lost touch completely with the reality of sin. The reality of sin is that it's horrible. The reality of sin is that it is heinous because it separates us from God. We need to understand the seriousness of sin. And that's what the sacrificial system did over and over and over again. It demonstrated the the, the gravity of sin. And at the same time, it very definitely exposed the cost of redemption. The cost of redemption. You know, the cost was life itself. Something had to die in order to pay for sin. Under the old covenant, it was an animal. 
But I've already demonstrated why that was inadequate. Under the new covenant, Jesus brought his very own blood. Jesus had to die in order to pay for our sins. Why Jesus? Because Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was holy because he was God. He never sinned. Therefore, Jesus didn't have to die. There was no, there was no curse on his life because he never, ever sinned. And so Jesus said, I will give my sinless life to pay for the price of the sins of the whole world. That's why I want you to understand that, you know, when we talk about the cross and when we talk about what happened on the cross, um, you know, when we, especially around Easter, and, and we may even remember the words from the cross, and we talk about that moment where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in that moment, Jesus became sin. That's what the scripture says. It doesn't just say he, uh, he, he paid for our sins you know, separate from himself. He says he bore our sin. Your sin and my sin was placed on him just like it was placed on that scapegoat under the old covenant. It was placed on him and in that moment, God the Father for the first time in eternity could not look upon his son. For the first time in eternity, Jesus understood what it was like not to have the gaze of his father on his face. It was devastating. It was horrifying. But he had to do it in order to pay for your sins and for mine. You see, part of the problem here is we've sanitized the whole thing, hadn't we? I mean, we, we have beautiful crosses in our churches. Uh, beautiful wooden, we've got a beautiful wooden cross out front in our welcome center. Some churches, it's gold. Uh, we wear them around our necks, right? Wear them on our ears. You know that the early Christians would have said, that's barbaric? Because they said the, the cross is an instrument of death. There is nothing about the cross that is beautiful in itself. The cross is heinous. The cross is, I mean, it would be the equivalent today of, of wearing an electric chair around your neck. I mean, seriously, that's what it would have been like to them. They would have said, why in the world would you wear a cross around your neck? Now, we understand now that it is beautiful because of what it accomplished what it accomplished is gorgeous, it's beautiful. But the cross itself was ugly. It was heinous. And beloved, that's what we have often forgotten. And I believe that this whole sacrificial system was put in place by God to show us the gravity of sin and the cost of redemption. I just want to give us a moment. Maybe we just need to take a moment this morning to reflect. To reflect on exactly what Jesus did for us. And let me just say it. It's not just us. It's you and it's me. Jesus died for your sins and for mine. 
make this very personal. Uh, I just want to bring up an image of the cross with three scriptures. We're going to turn the lights down. I I want you just to take a moment to reflect. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. I'm going to read the scriptures aloud. And I want you just to reflect for a moment in a very personal way on the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. First of all, from Hebrews 9, our passage this morning. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. then from Isaiah 53 5 through 6 I'm reading from the message here but it was our sins that did that to him that ripped and tore and crushed him our sins he took the punishment and that made us whole Through his bruises, we get healed. We are all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. And then finally from Romans 5, 9 through 10. Since we have now become justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, we were, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more? Don't you love the how much more is in Scripture? How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Just reflect on that great promise and truth for just a moment. Now let me give you some really good news. I said that Jesus' sacrifice was better because it was in a better place. It was a better offering, but it's also superior because it brings a better result. A better result. And the result is this. That we're not just cleaned externally. We are clean from the inside out. 
God gives us a new heart, a new heart that desires to please him. And he puts a new spirit in our lives, a spirit that will give us the power to live this life as we grow in him. Secondly, it's because Jesus is praying for you 24-7, 365 days a year. Jesus went into that heavenly tabernacle. And he is now praying there. And he is not praying for forgiveness. Let's please understand that. We'll get into this more next week. Jesus died once for all for sin. He's not praying for forgiveness. You know what he's praying for? He's praying for strength. He's praying that this new heart of yours will be strengthened. He is praying that you will have everything you need to live the life that God has called you to live. So beloved this morning, Would you remember his sacrifice? Would you remember what he has won for you? I'm going to ask the the team to come and prepare the elements. We now know what this means, right? We now have full understanding of what this juice and this bread means. The juice is a symbol of his blood. The bread is a symbol of his body. As you take a piece of that bread and you dip it in the juice, remember his sacrifice. Remember what he gave for the forgiveness of your sins.